This is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, and of course our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, don't forget to hit that Google review button and leave us a review on the homepage. And you can leave your comments on the social media channels you're watching us on just in the comments below. If you'd like to email, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And Property Matters is also available, of course, as a podcast every Monday from 10 on the major channels you can see over there on the other side of the screen. Also, we're broadcasting live on Dilsey Radio every week too, so we welcome new listeners there. Well, it's Father's Day in the UK today, so what better than a Father's Day special? We've got four fathers for you today. Joe, Bob and Guy, all here to discuss Matters Property. So, gentlemen, welcome. Good morning and happy Father's Day to everybody. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Let's start with homeowners are facing mammoth housing crash, says Analyst. This is house prices looking to set to continue falling as homeowners face an increasingly grisly future of crippling high mortgage repayments, an economics expert has uh, warned. This is Ed Conway, says that the crisis has already hit the UK and that some will soon find themselves in the biggest mortgage squeeze since 1991. He warned that we could once again face a mammoth housing crash or recession that even dwarfs the global financial collapse of 2008. UK money markets now pricing in Bank of England interest rates of 7.7, sorry, 5.75 by early next year. That's a massive change from only a month ago when they thought rates might peak under 5%. Things look increasingly grisly for mortgage payers and the housing market in general, he says. He is uh, the economics editor of Sky News and he detailed the trend of the interest rates and how it's going to impact the mortgage pattern for homeowners. So, uh, I suppose we better go straight to Bob with this one because he's our uh, Maharaja of mortgages. Uh, he knows all about that kind of thing. So, uh, Bob, tell us what it's like in the market now. And have you seen anything like this since 1991, maybe, or 2008? I haven't, no. This is really scary. I think Ed Conway is a good commentator, so we should pay some credence to what he says. And, you know, it's been coming for quite a long time. You know, it was coming, then it wasn't coming started off with the Liz Trust and quasi part budget fiasco. Uh, and then, you know, February, March, things did get better. You know, rates were beginning to look sensible. And now, because inflation isn't coming down as quickly and because of other global events, um, the forecast is that the Bank of England will have to raise interest rates. I personally think 5.75 is a bit toppy. You know, 5.5 is possible. Um, and that's going to have a huge effect on everybody in the UK who has a property, everybody who has a mortgage. And depending on what type of, type they've got, how much they're borrowing, it's really going to be a bit of a bloodbath. I think people need to just smell the coffee at the moment. Now, we did uh, do some calculations just before we came on air today, and we were talking about you know what it would have been like for someone that was on a fix around 2%, what they were paying per month, and what they are going to be paying now if they're coming to do a new fix. Just take us through that, if you would. Yeah, we worked out what a £250,000 mortgage would have been uh, at a rate of, uh, say, 2% over 25 years, and what that would like look like today's uh, on today's rates. And something that was 1060 a month would now be 1460 a month. So that's a £400 increase on a £250,000 mortgage. And, and that's if you're on a repayment. 
if you were on an interest only, your payments would have possibly doubled or 150% of what you're used to paying. So people on repayment mortgages maybe you know, you know, be, uh, not have such a big increase, but interest only payments would be directly proportional to the level of increase from say 2% to 5%, which is over 150%. Joe, how are people going to be able to afford these payments and what can be done about it, do you think? First of all, uh, thanks to uh, Bob and to Guy joining us today. Um, being Father's Day as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's quite a crucial thing because to have the input of the experience that we have uh, here today is, is very, very important, very vital. And whilst there's a lot of doom and gloom being posted out, uh, Paul, of, of this, you know, the underlining thing is that the interest in buying a property is still high and there is, there'll be corrections across the board. Um, but of course, bad news sells, and we're 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 at a point where obviously the media and an analysis are saying that there's a crash, you know, looming. And how do we get around that? Um, I think that personally, um, communication is the answer to the problem in all these things. You know, you've got to speak to your lenders, you've got to speak to um, you know the 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 powers that be, wherever they might be, to be able to make sure that. They are assisting us get through this time. I think what happens is, and I've seen this historically, um, people tend to sort of want to bury their head in the sand um, on the on the basis that it will go away and I can't really deal with it. But you know, it will affect lots of other things separately. And so I think communication is is going to be a major major um, thing for for borrowers to talk to their lenders. I'm sure Bob will um, uh, help us out on that point. But generally, um, to me, it's going to be about battening down the hatches. The problem is, and I've said this time and time before, I think the rate and the mortgage rate, we could have probably been more palatable had everything else not shot up at the same time. Because um, we've always been expecting the mortgage rate to go up because it was so low since, you know, since 2007, 2008. But now... Um, with all of the other costs, uh, including food shopping and so forth, it is actually, you know, uh, doubled, if not trebled, the outgoings each month for every ho household. In some cases, we're talking about anything between a thousand, twelve hundred pounds a month more for them to just simply, um, you know, stand still. And that's not even, you know, that's not even going out for a, for a drink or anything like that. But uh, so, yeah, it, it's going to be quite a challenging time. It has a massive knock-on effect to other areas of business, doesn't it, when there isn't any uh, cash in the economy. Guy, like like all the gentlemen here today, you've all been around the block and seen it a few times. You know, remember 91 and 2008. Are there any parallels that you're drawing now that remind you of those times, do you think? Well, it's funny. I was just reflecting on that to um, Joe was talking and thinking, well, it's very difficult to... Whilst history, you know, yes, of course, does repeat itself, Um there are so many different influences. And I think these, this influence is, is different. We've, we've had a, a period of unbelievably low interest rates for such a long time. Um, and you know, it wasn't long ago, you know, we were talking about five or 6%, people would have thought that was fantastic. If they could have fixed at five or 6%, you know, they would have thought that was great. So I think it is difficult to say, um, to, draw, to draw comparables um, with previous occasions. Then we've got to look and see where we are now and um, what we think the economy is going to do. And of course, there's so many more influences from outside now. Um, I did notice one bit of positive news this week that the US didn't increase their um, rate, um, which I think it was expected to increase. Bob will probably understand these things more than I do. I think it was expected to increase, but didn't. Um, 
so maybe that will be some some influence in the course um you know we do always look at the us um rates and there's going to be an election next year in the us and possibly in the uk as well so again how does that play into it bob just looking at the the instruments they use to try and control inflation they don't seem to be working and we've always had this thing that when we get to a point when there's too much money in the economy and everyone's spending and we need to cut back they make it almost unaffordable for you to, to to live and therefore at the end of the day you cut back and that's how they get inflation down just putting it in plain and simple language is that the right way to do this because it doesn't seem to be working like it used to years ago at the moment there's just one tool in the toolbox and that's interest rates uh, and that's all all they've been using for the last few years and that's all they can use i mean any anything else if they go to increase taxation or anything else as you say, elections coming, so that's not going to go down too well with the voters. Um, and you know, the government really shot themselves in the in their own foot by uh, the, making the Section 24 changes that they did to really hammer the landlords. Um, now, luckily, most of the country is still on fixed rates, be they on buy-to-let or be they on residential. So, you know, there's a, there's a large s- sector of the population which isn't going to be really affected mortgage-wise for another two or three years because they would have taken a five-year product at sub 2%, so they're comfortable for the next two or three anyway. But those that took discounted variables or tracker products, they're the ones that really are going to be feeling the pain. But what can the government do? I mean, you know, let's see what the government comes up, what plans they can sort of, um, you know, uh, make their mortgage lenders, uh, you know, do certain things to actually ease the pain at the moment. But at the moment, inflation is high, it's sticky, it's not coming down as quickly as we want. Um, Hence why I think rates will have to go up until we see a clear direction that inflation is actually coming down. As you say, as, as over the next two years, all these uh, deals, these um, fixes end, that means that this protracted problem is going to go on for quite a long time, isn't it? It's going to be at least two years of this pain as people come out and try and renegotiate. Absolutely. I mean, this year there's 1.4 million fixed rates ending. So that's one more 1.4 million households that are going to see doubling of their buy-to-let rates, they're going to see a, a 40% increase in their repayments on a, on a residential mortgage. And that's money out, that's money out, out the economy. It's, it's money that they will, can't spend on holidays or travel or leisure, white goods, services. So this is going to be a bit of a oil tanker type recovery. So we're not going to turn very, very quickly. It's going to take the, the ship some time to turn around and two or three years isn't unreasonable at times like these. Joe, do you think we're going to return to the days of people handing back the keys? Yes, that is looming, especially in um, certain areas, especially buy-to-let, for example. The buy-to-let market where the borrowing is um, much higher costly than what the tenants are prepared to pay. Um, Also, getting the tenants out is not working. Um, As Guy mentioned earlier on, getting more inquiries and have been doing so for um, the auction properties, but there is just no yields, there's no return on the investment. So sellers are sort of almost beginning to sort of say, you know what, if I can dump, get out and get some capital back, I can use that to do something else with. Um, so I think that that is probably where, where the issue is. And the government really needs to rethink that strategy very, very quickly, because the problem is, and I've, again, I, you know, my view is, it's, it's a bit of a, an obvious view, but once you start to have keys in those people are also going to be need to be made um you know put some shelter on them and they're going to be looking for homes and we haven't built any homes and they've actually taken away a lot of 
homes away because the landlords are now dumping their properties because they're not making any money. The taxation is too much. And subsequently, what's happening is that we're getting, you know, going to get more and more people that are homeless. The council are having to find accommodation um, and having to pay through the nose for, for the rental of those properties. So it's a bit of a vicious circle that's going on. Um, and, you know, something needs to give sooner rather than, than later, I think. Guy, there's another curious aspect to this situation, and that is, uh, and you look at some of the property statistics out there at the moment, that uh, we, we were at a very um, high point of numbers of properties coming onto the market. So uh, this last month, I think it's something like 370,000 properties on the market, which is a very high figure compared to recent years. And it's back to the good old days of 2019. And furthermore, they're being very bullish in the asking price. That's not necessarily what the price is that they're selling for. And that seems that gap seems to be widening at the moment. So Bearing in mind that people know what's going on behind the scenes with the mortgage rate, etc., why are they being so bullish and, and why are we so awash with stock, do you think? Well, I think it's just always that delay, that, that there's always been that delay. Um, my next-door neighbour sold for 100000 I want 100000 um, And, well, the market might only be ninety five, and a wise person might actually put theirs on for, for say, ninety two and a half, and just beat the market. Um Depends on, of course, what area you're in and what type of property. If it's an individual property, there's also uh, it's easier. But if if you are in a, say, for example, you're in a housing estate where all the houses are the same, you really do need to um, be very conscious of pricing correctly. I mean, you need to always be conscious, but particularly if there's other choices of the same type of property. Um, so I think it's just people just always want, you know, just being a little bit greedy and want to get the same as their next door neighbour. Let's just. Uh move on to the next aspect of this and come back to uh, to Bob. Um, the other story that we've picked out this week is the amount of money lent in new mortgages fell significantly, significantly during this first quarter of the year. This is the latest data um, uh, as borrowers get increasingly concerned by rate volatility. Latest Bank of England figures released yesterday uh, reveal that 58.8 billion was borrowed in new mortgages in the first three months of 2023. That's 26.3% down from the 76, nearly 77 billion borrowed in the corresponding period 12 months ago, and the lowest level since the period between. April and June 2020, when of course we were in a lockdown. New mortgage applications approved for the coming months total 48.9 billion, which is down 40.7% um, on the same period in 2020. So it's falling off a cliff already, isn't it? Yeah, we're seeing a slowdown. Uh, there's lots of remortgaging going, obviously, because when people are coming to the end of their fixed rates, they're looking for alternative options. Uh, but new money, yeah, I think, you know, when you're thinking of buying a house to live in, and you're expecting a rate of 2 and 3%, but you're saying, no, nope, the rate's now going to be 6%, you are going to think twice and sort of stand back and say, do, you know, say, do I buy now or do I wait? And I think, given the bad news in the press and the expectations that things are going to get a bit worse, I think people are just holding back a bit. I think, you know, there was a bit of a resurgence of first-time buyers in the first quarter, but I think that's now died down. I think first-time buyers are no longer going to jump in feet first and take on a very expensive five-year fixed rate, knowing that, you know, in two or three years' time, the rates might, you know, might get better. So I think it's no surprise. I think it's just public confidence is not there right now. Um, it'll, it'll come back, but I think not, not right now. It, it's going to get worse, yeah. 
buy-to-let landlords guy, borrowing uh, was accounted for 9.8% of the total. That's the lowest since 2011, as investors were deterred by higher mortgage rates and the prospect of increased regulation. Are you seeing the uh, the shift of buy-to-let landlords getting rid of properties, as we're led to believe? Yeah, I think this has been happening for a long time. This has been happening for four or five years, certainly through um, network auctions. We've seen this as a trend. Um, this is not new. This has been going on for some while. So, I mean, the amount of landlords has certainly uh, decreased considerably. Um, and some landlords are still um, uh, still looking at selling. But the thing is that rents have increased. And just before we came on air, uh, Bob and I were chatting and we, we worked out the, we mentioned earlier that the average mortgage had gone up from um, 1060 to 1460. But we also said, well, the average rent has probably increased 200 or 250 pounds. So that has protected um, the buy to let landlords who are existingly existing in the market. Um, but I don't think there are new entrants to the market. So people are not seeing um, buy to let as an attractive option as a first time um, put their toe in the water in property. And are you seeing, Bob, that many of the uh, lenders are withdrawing products? We've heard uh, in the last few weeks that as, as they see rates going further north, that products are being uh, pulled off the shelf? Yeah, across the board, uh, Paul, because uh, every lender looks at the swap rates or the Sonia rates, and they've seen that they've spiked again. Uh, so the cost that they have to pay for their money that they lend on has actually increased substantially. So in return, you know, these are businesses at the end of the day they don't want to lose money so they reprice the products and we've seen a lot of rate pulling from the specialist lenders and the residential lenders some before others of course uh, hsbc was notable because um, they didn't give any notice to the to the brokers literally minutes uh, and that caused a panic and blocked their systems and they're not ready for that sort of influx of business so you know when they don't give brokers enough notice then you know what what can we do you know we, we try and then get all the applications into one particular lender and they get swamped. So service levels are going to go down and everything else and it just uh, snowballs from there onwards. Um, but yeah, a lot of rate pulling. I mean, at the moment, I, I don't promise any rates at all. I say, look, if, if and when you get the paperwork back and I make the application and I secure it, I can't confirm the rate because I don't know when it's going to be pulled. Just take us through what it's like, you know, say, going back five years to now, you know, if I was going to come in and do a mortgage application for a first time purchase, you know, what's different about the process? I mean, we've heard lots more, um, you know, barriers to entry in the sense that you've got to be able to uh, demonstrate affordability, etc. So what, what, how much worse is it for people to try and get the mortgage in the first place over this last five years? What's changed? The process is exactly the same. It's still an FCA-led compliant process in terms of uh, you know all, all all what we do, which is obviously verify the incomes, check the documentation, do the anti-money laundering checks, uh, you know do all the caveats and give illustrations and quotes, etc. What's really changed, I think, is the pricing. That's the main issue here. It's not the availability of money. There's plenty of it. Uh, it's the cost of funds, basically. That's really affecting people's decisions uh, whether or not to buy right now. Um, and because we do expect rates to fall, then the next question is, do I do go for a two-year product or do I go for a five-year product or do I go for a 15 or 20-year product? Uh, you know, I think as soon as rates stable, stabilize and come down, and I think base rates will sort of hover around 3% for a long, long time to come, 
and you know people will be looking at 10 and 15 year products and saying look forget it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take this up and down and uh, i'm gonna just be happy to lock in for 15 years and forget about it yeah which is actually very interesting bob because um in the us when you get a mortgage as you know it's normally a 30-year term as an average term but that is fixed for the 30 years um so it makes an awful lot of difference the market is more volatile of course because in a low a low interest rate time um the market's going to be very good because people think well i can secure that for a 30-year period um even although of course people move and it's probably rarely is a 30-year product um but you know you are certainly securing yourself yeah there was a report a long time ago called the miles report it studied how people how brokers uh, take uh, advice on short and longer term products because you know we have one year products we have two year products and most brokers for whatever reason chose two year products because i guess they saw the client in two years time rather than five years time but the but the miles report actually advocated longer term rates and they said you know people should be looking at much longer time frame not look at short termism one or two year deals because you know volatility volatility like this will catch them out one day and, and it has many people although i've always looked back when you see a 10-year product it's very rare that 10-year product hasn't worked in favor of the lender um yeah i mean history shows that lenders do win on fixed rates so people some people don't want fixed rates regardless they'll say look they'll suffer the short-term pain because they know that rates are going to come down because obviously in that fixed rate product there's a there's a bit of fat for the for the lender as well so they expect to make some money in that period and uh but if you're of a nervous disposition or you can't take too many risks, then, you know, a 5, 10, 15 year fixed rate isn't a bad deal. And the other thing to remember, Bob, I suppose, is the fact that uh, actually these lenders need to make money themselves. And if they're not lending money, then they're going to have a bad time. Not that we care too much about them, but. No, they've all got targets and they'll all be sort of nervous right now because they see the market sort of dipping and obviously the the lending figures are down so then they need to move a certain amount of money not only that they need to maintain market share because the big four or five are so you know work about their market share they get sort of uh, t twitchy if they don't actually you know maintain it so next six months it will be quite competitive there will there will be some you know good good price products maybe they'll change their funding lines or use other assets to buck these products so I, I don't think the activity will stop. I think it will be there. But, uh, you know, these banks need to lend, as you say, and to make money. Otherwise, they, they, they're not fit for purpose. Joe, uh, Richie Sunak said this week that he's going to order the banks to protect mortgage borrowers. Um, let's widen that discussion out and say, what could the government be doing that they're not doing? I don't necessarily want to get into a political discussion about blue or red or anything of that nature, but... Two parts of the question, I suppose, really, what can they do and should they have done more in the past? You have to remember we've gone through a pandemic and there was a moratorium uh, during that pandemic for by to let people to even do evictions. Uh, what I'm hearing from rental people and from house sales is that the eviction process and they, they got rid of all the, the bailiffs from the courts because they just couldn't be using them. So now they've got like maybe one bailiff operating three counties um, so they're really behind in that process and i think that's probably what's going to continue here uh, if, if, if the only thing rishi can say to them is that you know 
um, they just got to grin and bear uh, repossessions if somebody is so far behind. Primarily because it will flood the market with lots of people that become homeless and then they've got nowhere to put them. So, and that's exactly what happened in a way during the pandemic. They just thought, you know, people can't afford it. They're not working, you know, they can't go to work. So they've had to do that. So there's a, a backlash of, of quite a lot there, Paul, that would happen. So I can't imagine that you can do anything more than that. I mean, obviously the banks have got to grin and bear that, I suppose. Um, and if they're charging higher rates, they're obviously liable to get more money for it. So it's not a great place to be. Um, a question I had for Bob was, though, Bob, what are the criterias nowadays in terms of um, uh, mortgages? I mean, uh, there was obviously the old adage of three, three plus one, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so what, what are they now using? What, what, what is the criteria? I mean, how does one get it? And also, what is the time frame in an application to an offer? Um, that has got to be, I mean, I, I'm experienced in different ones, but I'd, I'd love to hear it from your point of view. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the way that lenders work out affordability hasn't changed too too much. Some lenders are still based on multiples of income, and they have actually increased from the old three times income back in the sort of seventies and eighties. They're now four and a half to five times income, solo joint. So, uh, and if you're a professional, then you can go as high as six and a half times income. So the lenders are pushing the boat out in terms of the amount they're prepared to lend to buyers. And on remortgages, for, you know, for mortgage prisoners who can't actually go back to another high street lender, there are some lenders who are doing 10 times income, providing you're not borrowing any more money. So you have to demonstrate you can afford or have been affording the old mortgage. And they'll do 10 times income. Um, so some lenders work on multiples, some lenders work on affordability. So they have this fancy calculator in the background which works out uh, what you're going to pay on the mortgage uh, what you could pay if rates went up to say seven percent and what you're likely to pay on your bills and your gas and your electric and work out what your net position is monthly and then based on that they'll arrive at a figure which is more or less the same as the multiples but it's a bit more fine-tuned um, and a bit more adverse because you know they use the ONS figures for these costs of living calculations so in april because of the inflation inflation we've had in the country the ons figures are actually quite expensive now so by default on a lender based on affordability you're actually borrowing a bit less than what you could could do last year and the whole process needn't take too long if the documentation is uh, up straight we can go to offer within 10 days if there's issues and there's more paperwork required and you have to go back to the queue every time, then applications can take four to six weeks. Guy, you are in a situation, uh, perhaps a unique situation. You're on the outside looking in from the relative safety of the shores of the of USA. Um, what's your view on uh, what the government has or hasn't done or should do in the future? Well, one of the things I've been sort of thinking about is that the government, since the sort of pandemic times, it's always been, oh, the government can do this, the government can do that. The government put so much money into the economy during the pandemic times. And I think people just now think it's the government's responsibility. Um, and again, without wishing to be too political, you know, so, so it's a tricky um, uh, road to go down because, you know, we're also going to be paying so much more tax and we're effectively mortgaging 
we're worried about the mortgages. We're actually mortgaging the country if the, if the government keeps interfering and um, you know, they can't keep bailing people out. Um, so that's a thing, to, that's a, something to bear in mind. Um, I guess they can just sort of try and give policy statements. Um, but, but what they can actually do in reality, I think, is a, is a little different. Because they have uh, been uh, stymied by the fact that actually wages are rising really fast at the moment as well. So they've got, you know, there's more affordability out there. And it's almost a race to who can get to the top, isn't it, Guy? Well, that's right. And particularly, you know, we've seen the unions um, flexing their muscles in the way we haven't seen um, since the, the days of the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, you've, I, the, the junior doctors, the nurses, you know, everyone wants more and more and more. Um, but it's, it's coming out of the economy. Andrew Bailey says, uh, Joe, that he's going to uh, have a review of uh, why the central bank has failed to manage inflation, which remains uh, four times higher um, than their 2% target. So uh, that would make interesting reading, wouldn't it, Joe? Well, yes. I mean, when these reviews happen and they're asking someone else to be responsible, I mean, in my view, these people are put in their positions to make sure that they don't have to be reviewed. That's why they are, are given those jobs. And um, obviously, from the Bank of England's point of view, you know, he, he, they've got the autonomy to make the changes. And if they felt that this was looming and it, it needed to be dealt with, it should have been dealt with much earlier rather than thrown at the, at the deep end at the last minute. And I'm, I'm with Guy in terms of how much can the government continue to do. At the end of the day, there's only a certain amount of money in the pot and it's got to be decided how that is well spent. It's just like your own household um, income. You get a certain amount of income and that some of it's got to go towards mortgages, some food, some etc. And they can carry on doing that. I think this policy of, um, you know, the country always say, well, you know, what's the government going to do about it? Well, the government can't do a great deal because it is about taxation. And if people aren't earning enough to make the taxes or, or I mean, these, for example, we've lived with strikes of late. I understand that. But every time there is a strike, it's just like a member of work, a member of staff working for any of us. They're not in, they're not being profitable. But as an employer, you will be liable to pay them for while the time they're not there. So, you know, someone somewhere has got to, got to give. And I think when you look at the Bank of England and the governor and, and the general sort of monetary fund, they've got to be questioned as to why it took so later in the day to realise that they've got a problem. You know, they, they were there, put in there in the first place to actually give us guidance, not after the event. Let's put Bob on the spot now, shall we? Um, because um, one particular economist says that the uh, strong jobs and pay figures are likely to um, unnerve the uh, Monetary Policy Committee. Uh, and the question is whether the bank will go for a quarter percent or a half percent rise this month. So what do you think, Bob? I'll still say quarter percent because I think they'll, they'll like doing it bite size. Half percent would probably send the wrong signals to the market. And then if that happens, then the 5.75 becomes a more realistic possibility. So uh, I'm going to say a quarter, um, but people have said half percent, but I think they've never done half percent to date. And they couldn't, and they, if they were going to do half percent, they should have done it last year, not now. So I think half, a quarter percent is probably more, more realistic. And uh, going back to the question of this one, what can the government do? I mean, they can do exactly what they did in the pandemic. They can order the banks to suspend your payments for, say, six months. 
on your bounce back loans or you know your buy to let mortgages and that will give people some respite because they've had it tough for the last six months with high rates if they allowed you to suspend payments for a further six months that would see people through the christmas period and then we'll see what happens next year by which time i think interest uh, sort of inflation would start to fall and then we can see uh, rates starting to sort of ease after that so there's there's lots of things that can be done and if you're watching and you're in difficulty the government will help you pay the interest on your residential mortgage but only after nine months so once you've uh, made the claim they'll start paying after nine months unless you're already on universal credit then you'll get assistance just after three months so if you're falling behind a bit under the weather as joe said communicate with your lenders keep in touch with them make a claim for the interest on the mortgage and that's likely then to keep the wolves away from the door. At what point, Bob, is the uh, lender um, usually into intervening and saying, right, you know, we want this uh, paid back? Is, is, or is that not allowed at the moment? No, uh, it's, it's allowed. Uh, three months arrears tends to kick off the court process. Then you, you wait for a court date um, and then the eviction. And it's, you know, eviction is, what, 39 weeks at the moment? You know, you can have a baby in that time. So, you know, it's, it's a long time. So in that situation, if I'm sitting there worrying and I'm thinking, well, you know, in nine months I can get the government to help me with the interest payments, but but I've lost my home by then. Yeah, this is this is the whole issue. So you've got to communicate, tell them what you're doing. Um, you know, you could be able to downsize, you could be able to, you know, sell another property or raise money against that to keep this going. So I think you just need to take expert advice. There are many government organisations um, uh, there to help you, Citizens, Citizens Advice Bureau, a good mortgage broker will guide you as, to, as well as to what your financial possibilities are. And then, you know, if you have to make a claim, you have to make a claim. And if, a, you know, if the government will start to pay your interest, then at least you've got that period of grace in which to get yourself, you know, out of this mess. Good advice. Thank you, Bob, as always. Um, last story then, and I wanted to get onto this one because this is Guy's area of uh, expertise and knowledge. And this is uh, the the so-called exodus, exodus even, of landlords from the buy-to-let market. A growing number of landlords are thinking about exiting the buy-to-let sector as interest rates and government crackdown on the sector piles pressure on their finances. Savile's research uh, suggests that buy-to-let profits have plunged to their lowest level since 2007 and they're at a very real risk of landlords uh, who are leaving the system in droves as a consequence. Investors' average net profits fell below 4% on average in the first quarter of 2023, marking a dramatic shift in finances for mortgaged buy-to-let buyers, the company said. Average net profits for landlords are now at their lowest since 2007 due to the impact of 12 successive interest raise rises for the base rate, exacerbated by restricted tax relief. It's a pretty gloomy picture for landlords at the moment, Guy, isn't it? I think it is. And I think it has been, um, as I said earlier, that landlords have been exiting for the last four to five years. Um, and it's also pretty gloomy for tenants because the the lack of availability or available stock is just at a low level. You know, we've all seen these things where there's a queue of 100 tenants queued up outside of property when it comes on the market. Rents have increased. We just talked about that earlier. You know, probably, you know, two or three hundred pounds a month more so it's not really good for, for anybody, um, but it just shows um, something which I've known for a long time, that government regulation and um, added regulation and burden doesn't really help anybody. You know, the government try to think they're doing it, but it really just proves not to be helpful to anyone. It doesn't help the landlords, doesn't help the, 
tennis doesn't help anyone. Joe and I have discussed this in in, in recent weeks uh, on the show. Uh, you, we get the feeling, and you, you you can't help but wonder whether the government actually wants you know pr- private individuals to own other properties that they rent out. It's almost like they want actual proper businesses. Um, that have thousands of, of of properties that are set up specifically for that and have HR departments and that kind of thing. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You certainly get that feel. I mean, if you if you came in and just looked at it, that's what you would think the government were trying to do. But of course, it's all very well. Um, but probably, and this is a, this is a guess, but I, I doubt it's wrong. Probably seventy, eighty, and maybe even more percent of the properties are owned by private landlords. Um, you know, the average landlord is probably, you probably know Bob, what, got six or seven properties or something, the average landlord. Um, so they're not, they're not huge businesses by any, by any means. No, you almost get the feeling that it's, someone said somewhere that it's a vote winner because, you know, there's so many people in private uh, accommodation, in rented accommodation rather, um, and you could argue that the landlords would always vote for that party anyway um, because they're business people. So... You almost get the feeling that they're trying to do it to, to win favour with the people who might think about voting elsewhere. I think it's a, a that's a dangerous policy. <laughs> Joe, do you, do you think that there's a, a definite uh, agenda to make sure that uh, you know that, that that the average man in the street cannot be that um, uh, entrepreneurial? Well, you know, we have what we call accidental landlords in the first place, and the accidental landlords are the ones that got some money, got a retirement, perhaps had a payoff came um, draw their pension, they are the ones that turn around and say, okay, well, you know what, I need to have extra income, so I'll go and buy something. Um, whether it's a one or two bedroom flat, whether it's one or two apartments, maybe four at the at the outside. And they are what they call accident. And they, those are the ones that are actually suffering the most because they bought, they bought on a buy-to-let. Buy-to-let's now costing more in their mortgage payment, the rent's not coming. And they're just thinking, this is a headache. I don't want to be involved in it. But I think any government, you know, whether it's, you know, red or blue or white or yellow, they what they are doing to the landlords is actually shooting themselves in the foot by doing this because they're not able to then provide accommodation. I mean, the list at the local authorities, you know, pick anyone. I mean, I get calls from all sorts of people who are constantly looking for stock because they've got, you know, waiting list at the local authority who need to be rehoused. Um, and if something comes on the market, as Bob said earlier on, you know, in, in Southall, you're looking at a room rent alone at about £900 a month, um, which is just unheard of when, when it was, you know, um, probably a couple of hundred pounds a month, maybe three or four hundred pounds a month. Now it's £900. That's almost equivalent to some one bedroom flats that were, yeah. So I, I'm fairly certain. And, and I think the vibe is that we get the feeling that they want, you know, small landlords to be out of it. But I think that that's a major mistake because they're the people that are actually holding up um, the economy by providing good rental homes for people that need it. And you could ask the, argue that that policy, which has been going on for some years, has withdrawn a lot of landlords from the market. So therefore, it's responsible for pushing up rents. It's backfired a bit because uh, I mean, it's a government's policy. Let's not make any bones about it. They don't like the small landlord. You know, um, you know, you've got Lloyds Bank coming in, and you've got John Lewis corporate landlords coming into the market. You know, maybe that's what they want. But 
you know, us smaller landlords are having it tough because we can't set off the interest anymore. We're being taxed on turnover. There's no 10% wear and tear allowance anymore. Uh, interest rates have gone up. And I think the landlords that have actually geared too heavily, they've actually borrowed on their existing properties to buy another one and so on and so forth over the last 10, 12 years, they'll be heavily geared. I think they're the ones that are going to come a proper. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that's been made actually this week by uh, Lucian Cook, who's uh, head of research at Savills. He actually says that debt exposure of mortgaged buy-to-let landlords will play a critical role in the future shape of the PRS. Some landlords have only got the tax element left in the buy-to-lets because they've taken out any growth and used it on the next one. So if they ever sold their portfolio, they don't only just about clear their tax. There wouldn't be anything left for them. It's interesting, actually, that these high rates are actually playing into the government's hands because it's almost that the situation, the economic situation, is forcing these small landlords out of business. So it's doing it for the government. Capital gain tax receipts are right up. Yeah, I say that by um, taking the private landlords out, um, you are really reducing the type of stock because most corporate type landlords prefer to have blocks of flats. You mentioned John Lewis. Well, they're only going to be building above their stores um, and they're going to be building um, probably um, properties suitable for sort of the higher higher rent payers. Um, so the poor people at the bottom, again, are going to get squeezed. Three in four mortgaged buy-to-let properties have a loan-to-value of less than 60%, while one in three have a loan-to-value of less than 50%. In 2023, uh, those with an LTV of 60% were able to generate an average profit of 10.2%, and those with an LTV of 50% generated 16.5%, while landlords leveraged at 80% saw profits move into negative territory, minus 2.4%, Bob. Yeah. And surprisingly, there are now 80% buy-to-let products in the marketplace, which <laughs> I don't know how you're going to qualify for those if you can't get 75%, but you know, two lenders are in the market now for 80% buy-to-let, which is crazy. The capital appreciation, which people always look at, are one of those figures take into account capital appreciation. Also, um, people are always looking at what's, what's going to be worth in the future. And of course, when... People think the market's going to be tricky and maybe worth less. Again, that's a reason to to move out and use money for something else. They say future investments now likely to be dominated by cash buyers and those with low borrowing requirements. Even landlords with modest gearing are now more likely to enter the sector or expand existing portfolios in areas further away from London. Um, added to this, many landlords who have been active since buy-to-let took off in the early 2000s are now nearing or in retirement, which risks limiting the future supply of rental stock. Savills estimates 1.9 million properties are currently owned by 620,000 landlords aged over 65, with a further 1.9 million properties owned by landlords between 55 and 64. So. The government has to wait 10 years. I've had a lot of experience of um, uh, landlords coming to me. You know, people have been in the property business for a long time and they become in their 70s or certainly when they're in their 80s and they say, um, look, guy, I want to sell. I want to get out of it now. Um, my family are not interested. I have a daughter who's a doctor and a son who's an accountant uh, and they're not interested in being a small casual landlord. So again, that takes it out, uh, takes property out of, the, out of the market and those first properties are likely to be sold to owner-occupiers. So again, it's just reducing the stock all the time. So it really, as Bob said, it has backfired on the government. Yeah, I've got a lot of uh, landlords um, who are lowly geared and they're actually getting ready to actually 
buy and, and seize on opportunities in the next uh, six to 12 months because they, f they feel the market will actually come down a bit. They're getting ready. We're organizing checkbook facilities for them on their portfolio so they can actually go out to auctions and buy in, buy in cash and then refinance later. So certainly, you know, I'm seeing a lot of that where we're doing uh, credit lines ready for them to actually go and seize opportunities. They've always said Joe Cash is king and uh, Joe, Bob's just made that point there that there's people waiting to swoop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a buyer's market now that we're all, all heading into and um, uh, cash is king and um, you know, private treaty is not selling as well as it would do. So, um, you know, auction is a good route. Both Guy and I are in that business. Um, and, um, you know, we're here, all of us are here to advise and guide the best we can. We've got a lot of years of experience between us and uh, those that are listening or watching. Uh, you know, have no fear to, to, to pick up the phone to any one of us and we're here to try and guide us and, and, and guide you and help you through this this time, which is part of the reason I wanted to bring everybody, you know, together on, on this program because it, this is the time when it's important for us to show our experience and, 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 and how we can actually assist our customers that have actually kept us in business for as many years as we've all been in. Um, and um, so I, I would say that, um, you know, as I said right at the beginning, communication is the issue here. So make sure that you, you know, pick up the phone and talk to others, talk to us or talk to your lenders. Um, it's not all as doomy, as gloomy as it is, um, but it's, it, it, you know, at this moment in time, that's how it feels. But I think we can change. We've been here before. It's not as if we haven't been here before. It's just that, you know, you've got to work through it. Um, and that's where I would, um, I would say. Guy, thank you. Bob, as always, a pleasure to have you on the show, both of you. And Joe, great advice as always, and a great ending there, a great wrap-up for us. I can't beat that, so we'll say we'll see you next week at the same time, same place. Mm -hmm.